Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you could join us today. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from one of our guest speakers. I want to welcome you and great to see all of you here at the Father's House this morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad to be in the Father's house today? We want to praise God for the house of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. One thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. A day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, for the writers of the Psalms, the house of the Lord was the place to be. And it was the place to be, it was the place to be because it was the place where they encountered the living God. And you know, this church has that same testimony. I know that you are here today uh, because you have encountered the living God. Many of you have encountered God here at this church. Many of you have gathered from other places and, and, and times where you encountered the living God. And so we praise God for that testimony that is in this church. Today we're beginning a series that's going to take us until Easter. Uh, Pastor Greg and Betty, you know, I am sure they're enjoying uh, church in Arizona. <laughs> I don't know if they're joining us online today or, or, you know, maybe they're enjoying a tremendous hike, but they're down there with Doug and Lorraine Demers, and, and so think about them, pray for them, bless them. We're so grateful for their leadership in the Father's house, and uh, this series, you know, when it comes to uh, places to be, I'm so thankful that, uh, for this church as an expression of God's heart in this community. Amen. Uh, you know, this year marks 20 years since I first visited the Father's house back in 2004 when it was Morinville Christian Fellowship. Back in 2004, I think that was when Pastor Greg and Betty, that was their first year ministering here at the Father's house. And, you know, I'm so grateful that God brought me here. I'm so grateful that he planted me here, so grateful that he's loved me here and given me and continues to give me opportunities to love him.
Him and to love you and to love the family of God here at the Father's house. You know, uh, God has blessed me with a home here, a home with all of you. And that's what we're going to be talking about and exploring further today and over the next several weeks uh, as we look into the Word of God. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and to live as disciples who care. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your house this morning. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Hallelujah. Father, thank you that you've welcomed us in to your family, welcomed us into your home, welcomed us into an experience of the living God. And Father, I ask this morning that this place would be alive with your presence. God, that you would touch even each and every person here this morning. God, if they came in weak, that they would leave strong. If they came in sick, that they would leave healed. If they came in needing wisdom, they would leave instructed. If they came in with something that was off, Lord, they would would leave graciously corrected, Lord God, because you do all things well, and we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister in a mighty way to your family in the house of God this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and live as disciples who care. The mission statement of the Father's house. You know, if you've been around here for long enough, you would have known this statement, but maybe if you're a little bit newer, you know, maybe you've never heard this, you didn't know there was a mission statement. Well, there is, and that is it. You know, what do we mean by the Father's house, though? Do we mean, uh, you know, the walls that are surrounding us? Do we mean the chairs that we're sitting in? You know, we can be thankful for, for that today. Praise God. Thankful for the coffee. Thankful that our, our you know, kids are being well taken care of in children's ministry. Praise God. But, you know, that's not what we mean by the Father's house. We mean something a little different. When we're talking about the Father's house, we are talking about a relationship between God and people. The plan and purpose of God is to be in relationship with people, with you and I and every person who ever has walked on this earth. That is why He designed the world and that is why He created people. This is why He made you and I one way and not another way. He made people in His image. He made them rational, moral, and social. Rational so that we could apprehend God. Moral so that we could choose Him social because he wants to have a relationship with us and he's designed us for relationship with him and each other. He made us with the power to choose so that we could choose him. As the poet Tennyson once wrote, our wills are ours, we know not how. There he's a little bit wrong because we do know how. Our wills are ours to make them thine. And that's what the Father's house is. It's a relationship in which God chooses us and we choose Him. This relationship was God's plan, a relationship in which He would show off all of His goodness 
to us. You know, when I think of God and, and you know, I don't know if sometimes you're, you're sitting by yourself and you just have thought, I'm going to think about God. You know, what is God like? You know, if I try to picture God or, or understand Him, what, what is God like? Well, you know, when I think about God, certainly one of the things I think is that He is a show-off. And, you know, if God were a bird, He is no turkey. God, God is a peacock. He puffs out that glittering green chest of his, and I tell you, he unfurls that incredible, impossible set of feathers. And, you know, he's showing off. God is a show-off. You know, when you look up at uh, the big Alberta sky, you know, when the sun is rising and it's all red in the east, or when it's setting and it's turning gold and purple in the west. Hallelujah. That is God showing off. What a drama plays out there. You know, when you visit Jasper National Park and you take the Columbia Icefields Parkway down to Banff, you know, you're presented with one, uh, one view after another, one mountain, one landscape after another. And the first one, you're like, wow. And then you see another one, and you're wow. And you see a, a third, and you're just like, that's even better. And you want to get out of the car, and you take photos in the middle of the highway, that's definitely what I do. And then you look at those photos later on, it's not the same thing, you know? It doesn't do it justice. Hallelujah. And when it, you see the wind move across the prairie, ripple through the grass, you're the natural world in all of its splendor. You know, just some of God's impossible feathers. God showing off to us, showing us some of His goodness. And, you know, we choosing Him and loving Him because, after all, He is so adorable. And, you know, when I say adorable, I don't mean something cute. He's not my little pony adorable, you know. He's not a little rabbit adorable. You know, He is everything that is precious and lovable and winning and charming and and endearing and just everything wonderful and having so much of those qualities and such amazing abundance and such generosity of them that, you know, it really just hits us. It really comes to us and it, 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 it shakes us and we fall to our knees in worship. Hallelujah. God being all of this, being so wonderful and most wonderful of all, choosing us we discovering more and more every day that He takes pleasure in us. That what could be more extraordinary than God taking pleasure in us? What could be more appetite-stirring, more wonder and love-inducing? You know, such is the relationship that God has designed each one of us for, and that's what we mean by the Father's house. It's a, a reference to the truth that is rehearsed over and over and over again in the Bible, the truth that God chooses us. You know, that is all and everything that this book says. Everything that this book says is, I choose you. I choose you. That is good news for us. 
The good news is that God has chosen us. John 15 and 16, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. So, so why are we here today? You know, why do we need to find our way home to the Father's house? If, if God's already chosen us, uh, why do we need to find our way back to Him? Well, the thing is, every relationship has two sides, and it, it works in two directions. There's the direction in which God chooses us, but there's another direction in which we choose Him. And that's the problem. We didn't choose Him. Instead of choosing God, people chose themselves. And that's what the history of, you know, the fall of man recorded in, uh, in the book of Genesis. You know, if you look in chapter 3, uh, you know, it tells the story. And many of you might be very familiar with this, but I'm going to give it in point form here. You know, that God in chapter 1, He creates the world. And then in verse 26 and 27, He creates mankind. And then we go into chapter 2, and it talks about this world that He's created and the garden that He created as a home for the man and the woman that He created. And, uh, you know, there's, there's an abundance in this garden. God just showing off in every possible way that God can show off to this pe- these people, and, and uh, sometimes he would come into this garden and he would, he would walk with them in the cool of the evening. It says that he would come and visit them and have a relationship with them. And, uh, you know, he gave them everything. Every, he says, you know, every, all the fruit from every tree in this garden is, is yours for food. Every tree... Just not that one. One tree. One tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them, you know, the day you eat of, of that, you will die. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Right? So there's this warning, uh, you know, that this is not where it's at. And, of course, we know what, what happened. Um, people... You know, were given a choice. Uh, they could choose to know God or they could choose to know good and evil. You know, instead of choosing God, instead of trusting in Him, and they decided to choose their, their own ideas, to choose their own path. And we know the choice that they made. You know, the result was a disaster. The result was a disaster. They sowed the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. Some might ask, how come God made the world the way He did? Why why make the world this way where, where people could make this kind of choice? Listen to me. Our God is not a God of bondage. Our God is a God of of freedom. When God made you, when He made Adam and Eve, He made us in His image, and He made us free. Freedom requires choice. 
without choice, there is no freedom. There's no, if you only have one option, there's no freedom. You, you, you can only do that one thing. That is not freedom. That's, that's it. Without choice, there is no freedom. And God gave Adam and Eve a choice, and they chose poorly. Listen to what it says in James 1, 12, and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt any one. I'm telling you, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not designed as a temptation. God, that's not why God created it, as a temptation. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Adam and Eve chose poorly. The image of God in which they had been created was shattered. And now, instead of each of us being made in that perfect image of God, we share that shattered image of Adam and Eve. And you and I prove our descent each, all the time. We prove it all the time because we make the same kind of choice. We make the same kind of choices. We choose ourselves over God. The world is made up of only one kind of person. And those are people who choose themselves over God. And that's what the Bible means when it says that all have sinned. All of us choose, we've got, there's something about us. We just naturally choose ourselves. <laughs> I saw this reel a little while ago on Instagram. For those of you who are over 45, a reel is a, is a, is a short 10-second to about one-minute long video clip found on certain kinds of social media, and it was this one parent, something, a disaster was happening, and the parent saved themselves instead of their little child. Terrible! <laughs> How can we make such a choice? The world that we live in doesn't help us out. How can it help us out? If the blind lead the blind, won't they both fall together into the pit? 1 John 1.16 says it this way in the Message Bible, practically everything that goes on in the world Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. You know, when I think of the world we live in, I think of Highway 2, uh, uh, you know, between Calgary or between about Airdrie and Red Deer. Highway 2 between Airdrie and Red Deer when there's a good snowstorm. That is our world. You know... I'm a careful driver. Well, some people say I'm a, I'm a bit of a heavy, heavy on the pedal. 
you know, but I'm generally, when it's caution is called for, I'm careful, you know? Oh, man, it's all those other drivers. It's all those other drivers. The snow just blowing everywhere, and I tell you, you you've been there. We've all been there. Cars going one way, trucks going another way, semis and tractor trailers in the ditch. Oh, man, what a mess. What a disaster. Everything being broken up and everyone so far from home. Thank God he doesn't leave us to pick up the pieces. John 15 and 16 You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. I have chosen you. You know, I love the choices of God. Oh, man, they wouldn't be my choices. (laughs) I I wouldn't do that, God. Oh, hallelujah, God chooses people. God chooses people. Again and again and again, God chooses people. Noah. God chooses Abraham. God chooses Jacob. God chooses Moses. God chooses the people of Israel. God chooses the tribe of Judah. God chooses a shepherd boy named David. God chooses the the lineage of David and says, my chosen one is going to come through these people. And you know, all those who believe in Christ, they too are among the chosen. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and 11 says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. You know, if you are here today, if you have joined us online this morning, God chooses you. God chooses you. This choice is not dependent on what uh, what I have done or you have done or what any of us have left undone. Jesus is the evidence that God chooses you. Where we choose our own way, Jesus chose God's way. And, you know, God's way was not easy on Jesus. You see, before He created the world, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, together, They made a plan. The plan was this. These people are going to make the wrong choice. And so he planned something in advance. Before we could make our plan, before we could make our choice, he had already made a plan. He had already made a choice. And the choice was this, that God the Father would send his Son, into our world. The eternal Son of God as the man, Jesus Christ, would 
live in this wanting, wanting, wanting world, but his whole life would be a life of choosing God rather than choosing himself. Where Adam had failed to choose God, where we fail to choose God, Jesus would succeed in choosing him. And that is, of course, what Christ did. Jesus would rather die than not choose God. You know that Jesus did not want to die on the cross? You know, if there was some other way of helping people find their way back to God, Jesus was ready to sign up for that. You know, on the night that he was crucified, you know, he climbed that mountain of prayer that Pastor Greg taught us about last week. Three times he prayed, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup, the cup of, of offering his life. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So great was the strain on Jesus of, of this choice that the Bible records that he began to sweat great drops of blood. Choosing God's way wasn't easy on Jesus, but he didn't break under the strain. Oh, I can tell you, you are glad it wasn't me walking up that mountain of prayer. I would not have gotten very far. I'm telling you, fasting for a day, oh, that's a bit of a strain. You know, praise God. Jesus, he didn't break. He didn't break. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The scriptures tell us that after Jesus was arrested, you know, the soldiers who guarded him, they tied, uh, they tied a covering over his eyes and they struck him in the head. And it says that they, they, they reached out to his beard and they pulled out his beard with their hands. They beat him literally within an inch of his life, and then they crushed a crown of great thorns over his forehead. Finally, they let him out, making him carry the cross on which they nailed, then nailed him, hands and feet. As he was dying on that cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a terrible death. What a choice Jesus made in choosing God. He chose to be forsaken by God so that we could be chosen by God in Him always and forever. You know, if the evening sky whispers 
I choose you. How much more does the blood of God's Son, His chosen one, Jesus, shout it. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. Hallelujah. The end of the plan was this, that Jesus' death would pay the price for sin, would pay the price for all of our choosing everything other than God, all of our choosing of ourselves. Jesus' choice would pay the price for that. His death would pay that price. But you know, even more than that, death would not be able to hold on to Jesus. The Bible says that, uh, you know, you will not let your Holy One see corruption, and God didn't let it happen. He raised His Son right up out of the grave. Hallelujah. And that's the end. Death is done. You know, Jesus has done everything for you and I that needs to be done. We needed help, and Jesus was the helper. We need help still, and Jesus hasn't changed. He's still our helper. You know, your sin is powerless if you will choose the sinless one. Romans 10 promises this. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, praise God for the victory. Hallelujah. You know, yeah, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, I don't know if you're here today and you've never made a choice for Jesus, or maybe you've been serving the Lord for a long time, many years of serving the Lord. But you know, the victory of Jesus is always a gift. It's a gift when we come to Him for the first time, and it's always His gift when we come to Him the second, third, fiftieth, thousandth, ten thousandth time. The victory is His. And you know, I want to encourage you today. You know, if you are, you've been faithfully serving Jesus, but it's been hard. Maybe you're going through a season where, where you know, there's a temptation that's come. Or maybe there is a, a sin that has been, you know, you've been wrestling this with this for a long time. Maybe, you know, that can be any number of things. Maybe it's the love of money. Maybe it's, it's uh, sexual sin. Maybe, maybe it's unforgiveness. You know, it could be anything. I'm telling you that the victory is not in you trying to overcome that sin. The victory is not you, you know, trying to work it out. The victory always comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it is a gift. It is a gift, and I want to encourage you today, reach out, no matter what you're going through, reach out to that 
gift. Reach out to Jesus. There is a way back home. There is a way back to the Father. There should be no such thing as a homeless human, a homeless Christian. You know, there is a way back to God, no matter how far away you've been or no matter what problem you're going through, what hardship you're facing. The door is open and there is a way back. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. But you know what? Don't worry. Jesus is not gatekeeping the Father. He is the door. He is the door. And that door is wide open. Everyone who chooses Jesus, everyone who believes in Him, gets into the Father's house, gets into that relationship with God. Amen. That's the good news. News so good. You know, the word good news is from an old English term, gospel. And so, you know, 800 years ago, we would have said gospel. Now we say good news. But the Greek word that goes with that is, is a word that, that's translated in our Bible, good news. But you know what it actually, if you translate it out right, it means this. The too good to be true news. The word is found so rarely in ancient Greek. You know why? There's never any good news. It's too true and it's not good. That's what most news is. But the gospel is, oh man, it's, all, it's so good, it's almost too good to be true. Praise God. There is a way back home. You know, I remember when I first understood what it meant that my sins were forgiven, that Jesus had paid the price, that Jesus had chosen me. It changed my life. Changed me. I've, I've not been the same person since that day. Praise God. And I know that's so many of your, your testimonies. You know, I grew up in a good home. My dad was hardworking, provided for us. My mom was hardworking, fed us, clothed us, did our laundry, all that good stuff. Oh man, my mom loved the Lord. My grandma loved the Lord. When I say loved, I don't, I don't put them like they're still on this planet, you know. They still love the Lord, but, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, these, these two ladies, wonderful ladies, you know, were loving Jesus, and so, you know, I don't even remember the first time I went to church, and same with these kids who were dedicated here this morning. They'll, they'll never remember the first time that they were in the house of the Lord, but what a blessing that they were in the house of the Lord this morning, and that their families are here in the house of God, part of His family, amen? Well, I don't remember that first time that I was there, three or four years old, I think I was three, and um, you know, I remember though when I gave my heart to Jesus as a little child, I was five, and I was standing next to the piano in, in our home, and mom led me in a prayer of salvation, and I gave my heart to Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty good kid. You know, I was no black sheep. I was no little little hellion, you know. I was a good, good little child. I was about as near to an angel as I could 
as, as I could manage. I say that with that qualifier because, you know, it was just as well as I could manage. Um, and I mean when I say that, 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 you know, I knew that I would catch a little hell if I broke one of the commandments. And, uh, you know, I learned better than my siblings for the most part. Uh, not, not, don't, don't do that. Oh, that's, you're not going to like that. You know, when I, so I, I, I kind of learned that a little bit better than some of my siblings. You know, as a kid, I went to child, in, through, as a kid and through my teenage years, I, I went to church uh, twice on Sundays, once in the morning and once in the evening, and very often if the weather was good, I was out at prayer meeting, uh, you know, on Wednesday night with my mom, and, and uh, you know, it was uh, very fortunate, praise God. Praise God for kids who grow up in the house of the Lord and, and who have that influence put into them and, and are blessed by having Christian parents. You're doing good. If you brought your kids to church today, if your kids are in children's ministry today, praise God. You're a great parent. Hallelujah. Oh, man. <laughs> I thank God for all that Christian stuff as I was growing up. But, you know, I have to tell you, I wasn't always grateful when I was living through some of these things. You know, my mom was often praying. She loves to pray, you know, and go visit my mom's house. Sometimes you're watching TV and you can hear her. She's praying, you know. <laughs> Anyways, sometimes she would get extra passionate, extra passionate. And, you know, she would sweep her children along in her enthusiasm. Um, and we didn't have much of a choice, I'm, I'm going to tell you that. Anyways, I remember one summer, I think I was 14, mom decided, she had this, the, the choices of mothers sometimes, the choices, God, God bless you. Um, my mom thought it would be a good idea to get her 15, 14, and 13-year-old children up at 4.45 in the morning during summer vacation. And, uh, and why? why? What, what could possess her to do this to her teenage children? Well, you might ask, well, we had to be out of the house at 5 o'clock with our walking shoes on because we were going to walk the five miles to my grandma's house. And uh, we had to get there by 6 o'clock. And, you know, 6 o'clock we got there, and it would be the six of us, my grandma, my mom, me and my three siblings, and we would spend the hour between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. in prayer. Praise God. And, uh, oh, man. And then, and then, you know, there wasn't a ride home afterwards. You then had to walk five miles back home and uh, get there by about 8 o'clock, and, and then summer vacation start, start, started after 8 o'clock in the morning. Praise God. You know, you hear some of those harrowing stories. You know, parents, oh, I used to walk two miles to school uphill in two meters of snow with only barbed wire for shoes. That story is not as harrowing as a 4.45 wake-up call on a summer morning, I can tell you. 
But, uh, you know, I, I read my Bible a great deal as a child, and uh, part of the reason for that was also an idea that my mom had. You see, the year after my grandpa died, my grandma went to Bible college. My grandma went to Bible college, and as part of her curriculum, she had to read 10 chapters of the Bible a day, and, you know, my mom, she had this great idea. She thought, we should all be reading 10 chapters of the Bible every day. And so very shortly after that, I can tell you, I was presented with a brand new Bible. And take it away. But you know what? I I did read 10 chapters of the Bible for many years. I would, at the end of the day, before I shut my lights out at night, the last hour of the day was spent reading 10 chapters of the Bible. You know, all that to say that even though I went to church two to three times a week, even though I read 10 chapters of the Bible every day, even though I took early morning prayer pilgrimages to my grandma's house, and even though I managed to stay out of trouble a little better than my brothers and sisters. You know, the truth is that when it came to God and being saved, I was never sure that I was a good enough person. Praise God. Thank God I didn't think I was good enough. That that made me good enough. Praise God, right? Um, But it was a little anxiety-inducing at times. I I knew about God's love, but I didn't know it in my heart. I knew that Jesus had died on the cross, but I didn't know that my sins were forgiven as a result. And when I thought about whether I would go to heaven or hell, I didn't feel very sure that I would go to heaven. You know, one day, all of that changed. One day, all of that changed. I was in my early 20s, and I was at, still living at home, and I was spending time alone in the Word of God. Praise God. You know, that discipline that was ingrained in me as a child to spend time in the Word of God and read the Word. You know, because of that, God didn't have to send a a lightning bolt out of heaven to show me that He loved me. I could just open the Scripture. And not very glamorous, is it very... Is that how it works? It, It can work just that way. I'm telling you, I was reading the book of Romans. Of course, I'd read the book of Romans before, but this time when I was reading it, something was different. And, you know, you may or may not know that the book of Romans, especially the first eight chapters, you know, it presents a, 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 here's how salvation works. That's what it says. Here is how salvation works. Salvation is by grace and through faith. When I say salvation, I mean that each of us stands in need of being saved. We're all sinners and none of us can claim that we're good enough to stand before God on judgment day. When I say by grace, I mean that God planned 
God executed, and God offers the means of salvation. This means is Jesus. And when I say by faith, I mean that personal activity of choosing to believe in God and the means of salvation that He has provided. And this argument reaches its climax in chapter 7. And you know, the Apostle Paul there, he's, he's wrestling with this idea of, of not being good enough. And he says, you know, I, I know I, I want to choose what's right, but I invariably choose what's wrong. And he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Who can save me? And you know, I was reading that, I was like, uh, that, that's, that's the question I have in my own heart. Who can save me? And you know, the scripture right after that, it says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then chapter 8 opens, you know, this tremendous sunrise in Scripture. That's, that's what this verse, it's a, the sunrise of the gospel. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And what the law could not do in that it was weak through my flesh. God did by sending His own Son to condemn sin in the flesh. And you know, I'm telling you that in the moment that I read that passage, everything changed. I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and opened my heart to know that I, what I had not known, not known even one second before, that my sins were forgiven, that God was for me and not against me, that Jesus had paid the price. I didn't have to go on struggling about not being good enough because Jesus was good enough. You know, I can tell you I didn't stop reading there. I had 10 chapters to get through, probably. I kept on reading until I, I came to the place where it says this, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And you know, as I read that passage, I'm telling you, something more changed. I knew that I was a child of God in that moment. I knew that I was a child of God in that moment. The joy that filled my heart in that moment, the peace that came and replaced that stress and that anxiety and that I'm not good enough, something came and just washed it all away. The Holy Spirit came and flooded my heart with the knowledge you are a child of God. I kept on reading and it came to where it says this, I am persuaded that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I read that and I knew that not only was I home, but that God's goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life and I would dwell in His house forever. I would dwell in His house forever. The Father's house is the place to be. The Father's house is the place to be. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Come on a Sunday morning, we sing. Amen. I love to sing those songs. I love to sing that God has rescued me. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and live as disciples who care. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.